Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky. Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University of Minnesota. Salut, this is Tina from the University of Colorado. And alam, greetings. This is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy Fika. A podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators. Where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden, a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and attitude. It's all about slowing down. And finding time for friends and colleagues. While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat. So join us. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be back on another episode of Pharmacy Fika. And we have a terrific guest today, Melissa Medina from the University of Oklahoma. Hello. I'm a big fan, so we're so, <laughs> so we're so happy to have her on the show today. But before we get started, as always, a fika is about sharing some food together and some beverage. So since you are our guest, Melissa, I don't know if you came prepared to share some things <laughs> with us this morning, but do you have a little snack or some beverage? I definitely have some beverage. I have several on my desk, actually. But one thing I drink all the time is this Harney and Sons hot cinnamon sunset tea. I don't know if you ever had it. It'll change your life. It's delicious. So I drink that. And then, of course, I have to have my, my OU mug of water. <laughs> pretty different than the delicious hot cinnamon sunset. But you keep yourself hydrated throughout the day. Yeah. Which leads us to Jeff, who keeps himself hydrated all the time. <laughs> so I just finished having lunch with my daughter like 10 minutes ago. So no food for me, but I do have my sparkling water. What kind of sparkling water do you like? It's the Strawberry Kroger brand. Oh, a new sponsor. They compete with Trader Joe's. <laughs> I have some Topo Chico in the fridge, and that is my my favorite. I have a delicious fermented beverage, this uh, Remedy Kombucha Ginger Lemon. I love it. And Alicia Bolden, which she visited recently, brought me some Lillian Carson wonderful cheese straws. So I'm enjoying those. Wow. From Mark's, Mississippi. But that sounds way better than mine. I have a handful of pistachios <laughs> and water. That's a little lean there for you this morning. <laughs> some chocolate. So I've got my tea. I don't often drink tea because I'm a big coffee drinker, but I have this sweet and spicy mango tea. Oh. So I'm trying that out today, plus a protein nice. bar. So. Well, today we, we invited Melissa to the show because she's been very involved with the Academic Affairs Committee for the last two years, revamping, revising the CAPE. CAPE stands for... Center for the Advancement of Pharmacy Education. And the EPAs, which is the Entrustable Professional Activities, kind of move these together yeah. because these represent curricular outcomes for the entire curriculum. And so that committee under Melissa's leadership has really been working hard we want to have a conversation about that, how we should be using curricular outcome statements in our own teaching and not just at the curricular level, but at a personal level as in instructors, how they can be helpful to us. I'd like to get a bit of a historical perspective on this, Melissa. I know you've been involved with a couple of iterations, but can you give everyone kind of a sense of where all this started and perhaps where it's going? I don't oh, know. sure. 
And I love history. So the history of the Cape outcomes is really interesting. What's kind of fascinating to me is that the original Cape document is actually almost impossible to locate. And there's some controversy over when it was actually published. So was it published in 1990 or in 1994? So there's some differing documentation. And my former dean, Jolaine Dragalis, she gave me a copy of the original version, but I can't seem to locate it today. However, I did some Google searching and I still couldn't find it. So I only have the 1998 version. So Susan Meyer was leading this particular effort. There's a 2004 version that Peggy Piasek and Melody Ryan were involved in. Then 2013, which I was involved in, and then 2022. So aside from the 1990, 1994, whatever happened there, they tend to be updated every eight years and they coincide with the ACPE accreditation standard updates. And they typically precede the year or two before the ACPE outcomes are updated. So we are in a cycle that has been pretty consistent since the 90s. Do you have a sense of what prompted the initial CAPE group to get together and try to describe what these outcomes are? And I know what our current purpose is, but this started really about 30 years ago looking at these things. And what prompted that group of people to come together and and describe what the, the outcomes of the curriculum should be? Some of it originated out of the Commission to Implement Change. So those early articles looking at a variety of areas, how long should the pharmacy program be, what do graduate programs look like. So these were an outsource of those or an offshoot of those to really help give some language, I think, to what what should we expect our graduates to look like at the end of instruction. And that could give some insight into how long should a program be, what should students be accomplishing. And then, of course, in... 2015, Cynthia Boyle commissioned the Academic Affairs Committee, which I had the pleasure of leading, to construct a set of entrustable professional activities, which medicine had been Mm -hmm. working on for a few years prior to pharmacy taking a look at, which are descriptors of work. So it's slightly different, but related to what the curricular outcomes should be. And how did that come together, meaning the two CAPE outcomes and EPAs, how do those kind of come into a single document? Yeah, I know in the 2013 version, when I was chairing that committee, and we added in the affective domain, the committee talked a lot about experiential education and how do these educational outcomes transcend the didactic curriculum and the experiential curriculum. So when the EPAs came out, I don't think they were on a lot of people's radars. As you said, the EPAs had been around in medicine for several years. So they weren't a new thing to to medicine, but they were probably a newer thing to us. And I know even our committee in the beginning and and other people had the same question of, well, how are they different? What aren't they the same thing? Like, don't, don't the educational outcomes also cover the experiential curriculum? And are you just giving us an extra thing to do? And I really think that it's helpful to think about EPAs and the educational outcomes as synergistic. So 
certainly what we want students to look like at the with their knowledge, skills, and attitudes at the end of a curriculum. But what are what are those workforce attributes that students should be able to demonstrate upon graduation? So they go hand in hand, and I think that they're a really nice complement to each other. As CAPE has changed over time and the EPAs have launched and changed as the affective domain came in, I've worked at different places at different portions of that. And so I can say everything from this is something we have to do and let's figure out how to do it to let's really look at not just a map as a piece of paper, but how, how we live this document. So at Colorado, we were starting a curricular change and we said, okay, we know this is coming. We're actually going to really use this to drive the change. And so with a curriculum that launched this fall for us, we used the COPA document and its relationship to the pharmacist patient care process, of course, as this is our model. We are going to stop pecking around at every other (laughs) area and we're going to make sure that from didactic to experiential to co-curricular, everyone is seeing how this is their living document. Now, that has been a change for some people. And so we'll see. We've just launched. We're also in self-study. But I really like the idea of instead of having so many layers between me and the target, not getting distracted perhaps by documents that are complete, created at different times and for different reasons. I like what Tina is saying about using the CAPE to provide structure to drive curricula. I think another way that we've used it is to just create conversation, to to sit down with the document and be like, okay, how are we doing problem solving? Mm -hmm. And everyone around the table will have something to offer, right? But you wouldn't have necessarily off the top of your mind, come up with all those ways. And so just having conversations and like, which of those approaches has really been working and where are those located in the curriculum and and how can we be more intentional about how that progresses? And so it's just, I think, a really nice launching point for more collective conversation, identifying ways to optimize the curriculum. I really love that, Kristen. I think it's such a great educational tool because I think that people tend to silo and they're doing their own thing And we've been able to use the CAPE outcomes. We tag all of our test questions, much like other people do using ExamSoft. We have a homegrown system, but we download all of those tags every couple of months and present them to the faculty about what outcomes are being tagged to the most. And if we have 2,000 test questions in a six-month period, 1,900 are tagged a learner. (laughs) And... (laughs) (laughs) It's a really great opportunity to educate the faculty about, okay, well, we're doing more than just knowledge. So let's think about the goal of the content that you're teaching and the the test questions that you're asking. So could you be emphasizing something else that would help students grow in this area and set a foundation for other people to build upon? So it's really helped us refine our curriculum. In the beginning, we had our own program outcomes, and that was a big transition in 2013. We had spent the previous three years making program outcomes, and then I'm leading CAPE. And when I came back from doing that, the college really had a hard time transitioning to CAPE. And they said, we don't want to. What you are going to have to do, Melissa, is make a crosswalk of everything for accreditation. And I was like, 
are you kidding me? <laughs> That's like impossible. So luckily we did like a whole side-by-side -side comparison at a faculty retreat and we could see how our program outcomes were related. Nothing was missing. And then the, f the faculty decided, okay, let's just adopt these. It's going to be a more streamlined process. And I think it's really helped educate them and it's helped advance our culture of talking about curricula and how do you assess it, that it's community property unites us better. Jeff, any insights or how are you using it at Kentucky? So to be honest, I, I personally haven't gotten real in-depth with the outcomes outside of when we were designing our new curriculum, making sure things were mapping, curriculum reviews and course reviews. It's always been, I've, as I was thinking about this, there's always been someone else who is kind of more responsible and I play just a supporting role. So very, very familiar with them and we look at them pretty closely in designing the curriculum. And I, but I will say, when I became self-study chair, I became much more intimately familiar with them and <laughs> where they show up in our curriculum. And it was illuminating on the things that that we do really well and maybe areas where we need to ramp up some. Yeah. We do similar things here at Mississippi in terms of all of our syllabi have to declare how they map to our curricular outcomes. Now, our curricular outcomes are not solely CAPE and EPA. Of course, we developed our new curriculum before COPA came out, and many of you are probably in that boat. My assumption is if we develop a new curriculum or revamp our curriculum, we will use the COPA as the basis of our curricular outcomes, but we did go beyond those. So, and I think a lot of schools say, yeah, we'll, ad we'll adopt most of these. So that's kind of a question. Should the profession, because one of the angsts that happened after uh, CAPE came out in 2013 is the accreditation standards actually said, you have to do this. And that was new. And I think it was unexpected, right. too. It was Completely unexpected. from our committee, it and, was unexpected. And we didn't even have to think about ACPE in 2013. I know that was ACPE's mm -hmm. decision to adopt them. They figured, well, the schools of pharmacy have agreed to this set of curricular outcomes. We're just going to force you to do it through accreditation. Should it be that way? Should we have a common set of curricular outcomes that all schools are trying to achieve? Or should every school do its own thing and, and look to this as guidance? But hey, we can choose to adopt some and not others and do our own things in different ways. I, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, because I think there's differences of opinions about how forceful ACPE should use COPA and whether it should be a requirement or whether it should be just kind of a general guidance. Use them if, if for your own purposes. Well, a couple of comments on that, Stuart. I think when the first CAPE came out, Marianne Cody Kimball, who was the dean at UCSF at the time, wrote a editorial in a JPE called Standards, not Standardization. And one thing that we found at Colorado during this process is over time, since the last curricular, major curricular change, we had 14 ability-based outcomes. We called them our 14ers. And then we had domains of strengths. And we, we had all these different layers that made it very complicated. And so what we chose, and this was under Jen's leadership, this is the what. We have lots of flexibility in the how, Right. It doesn't tell us, in most cases, how. And so if we say 
we're going to strip away these themes of strength and domains and pillars and all these different things and say, this is the target. Now let's, let's agree. Let's focus on how different schools may get to that target slightly differently. Mm-hmm. That may be controversial to some. And we had a chance because we were in a curricular change process at around the same time COPA was being adopted. But I don't know how others feel about that. I, I think I, I'm glad Tina brought that up because it was exactly the point that I was going to make. I, I don't see the argument against it. I mean, it's it's hard to look at the outcomes and say, oh, well, we're we're really not into health and wellness. Like <laughs> what we do. And, oh, promoting health, no advocacy, no, no, not nope. not into that. Like it's it's hard at the level that it's written. You have so much flexibility. It doesn't say the depth. It doesn't say pedagogy. It doesn't say the assessment method. You have so much flexibility to work within these big areas that I think it's really hard to argue against. Yeah, and I think the way they are written are very broad and, and giving the leeway is great. And the standardization piece seems like a no-brainer. Now, I will caveat that with that whatever we do to simplify the things we have to do. And from the work I did with council faculties a couple of years ago on the curricular hoarding of when we have CAPE and we have appendices from ACPE standards and we have IPEC competencies and we have this school outcomes and you keep having all the different ones. We're trying to map four or five different things and one thing is going to six different documents. It creates a lot of academic burden and, and angst and probably leads to overcrowding some of our curriculum. So if, if it were left up to me, which is not, <laughs> it would take COPA and pare down ACPE standards and just simplify it to these are the important things. It's not left up to me. So yeah. Jeff for president, yeah, Jeff for president. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know the committee did a very thoughtful job. The COPA document is somewhat of a simplification of both CAPE and EPAs. Mm-hmm. In other words, there was some consolidation mm-hmm. there and that was purposeful. There was nothing really new added, so I'm sure the schools really appreciated that. There was some tweaking, but no real substantive additions to either of those documents, and it was consolidation and making sure there was some clear alignment between what would be the didactic curriculum's purpose and the experiential learning's curriculum's purpose. What has always appealed to me about EPAs in particular, and Partly I'm biased because I was involved in the work. <laughs> but it gets to this idea of backwards design. In other words, mm-hmm. what are we preparing our students to yep. do? What exactly are we preparing our students to do? And what can we say to employers, to patients, to health insurers? What are they prepared to do? What is the units of work that they can fulfill? And we didn't have that before. We didn't have a clear descriptor of the work that they could fulfill. We had descriptors of their abilities. Right. So they're good problem solvers, they're good advocates, but what's the work they're going to be paid for or employed right. to do? And those units of work, just like even the curricular outcomes, are going to change over time because there's going to be new evolving units of work that people need to learn right. how to do. And we've got to put it into our curriculum and we got to have a way of doing a backward design on that. If someone needs to be able to do X, 
what what do I need to teach them in in our curriculum to get to the point where they can do X? So talking about backwards design, have you in your own instruction gone and looked at and say, this course is preparing students to do this and point directly at one or two curricular outcome statements or EPA statements? We do at Oklahoma. It's similar to what you do to get that started at Mississippi. All of the faculty in the course syllabi have to say, what's the goal of this course and what level do they expect students to be at as a result of this course? So they have to think a lot about what is the course addressing in particular? And is that evident to the students? So that's included in the syllabus because the students can lag behind in this conversation about what do we expect them to look like? And here, here are the actual words that we would expect you to look like. So I think it lets the faculty share, well, at first think about like, what is it that I want people to look like at the end of my course versus just gaining a lot of knowledge and is that really clear to the students? Is that really obvious to them? Because maybe they think more of courses as knowledge types of courses. We're so used to knowledge that I think it really helps the, at least the COPA previous CAPE help people start thinking about there's other things that we should be doing with the students. And, and here's what some of those options are. Well, and I just want to add to that in our deep conversations as we went through this at CU, I challenged some of the dissenters. I said, give me any topic from our curriculum and name five pharmacy schools in the U.S. And I will ask them for the materials that they use to teach that. And then we'll, we'll do a comparison. This idea of uniqueness on the knowledge side, I think is we are taking stuff from tertiary sources primarily and we are repackaging it, maybe a different font, a different color, a different order. But that's why I think that it is possible for us to use COPA as a shared target. Because if we actually break down the knowledge, couldn't be that different. Right. Because the big assessment they take at the end would show a lot, a lot more variation if it was. Mm-hmm. But before schools had the ability to connect and collaborate differently... We wouldn't have had any way of knowing what other places were doing. And so most of our time was spent on de novo development of content. And, and I think now using something like COPA gives us a chance to shift that. Again, I, I kind of go back to the backwards design part of this and the assessments that we develop. It's really kind of critical that we, what often instructors do is they start with, well, what's the content of knowledge that I want to teach students? And then I'll retrofit some sort of curricular outcome to that knowledge, right? And it's not the way to optimally teach people. You need to start with the end in mind and then move backwards. And the first thing you move to is what is the assessment that I'll do to show that they can do that? And now that I know what the assessment will be, how can I teach to the assessment? And then people will get all up in arms that, well, you're teaching to the test. Well, you're right. I'm teaching to a target. Right. That's what teaching, that is what teaching is. Yeah. It drives learning. Testing drives learning. Imagine if some of those same dissenters, if you said, you're going to put together a promotion portfolio in three years. And don't worry, I'll know whether you've done a good job. I'll be able to tell. I have in my mind what that will look like. But you just do it. 
But I'm not going to tell you. I mean, the faculty would be up at arms. Yeah. Where's the checklist? What is an example of evidence of international notoriety? I mean, these are the exact questions. And yet I feel like in the instructional, well, no, we need to have a secret target. This target, we should know that, but we shouldn't share that with the students. And we're really trying to change that. We we spend a lot of time at orientation really showing them COPA and how the courses they're taking this semester thinking they're only focused one semester at a time, are, are helping them to achieve that goal. Mm, that's great. Yeah. I, I know one of the arguments kind of against having very rigid instructional targets and then developing things backwards and teaching towards a test or towards an assessment is the idea of some freedom for the students and even the instructor to explore things that are beyond the bounds of that. And I think people feel constrained to teaching towards a test. And, and I think that's a valid argument that we, we also need to, in, in addition to perhaps teaching to a core set of things that we want to have people develop, is also enable some freedom of choice and some freedom to explore things that are beyond the basics. Mm-hmm. And I think people get stuck on this idea, well, since it's defined, I can't do anything outside of that. And I don't think that's the intent, both at the instructor level or at the school level, but I think it's often interpreted that way. How much freedom and latitude should people have? Yeah, I I think about that a, a lot in terms of going back to a couple of different concepts that we've discussed before, curricular hoarding and, and curiosity and intrinsic motivation. And we tend to fill the bucket no matter what, like whatever, how big's the bucket? And we will fill it with the stuff that we have to have and not leave any leeway for other things to seep in. Obviously, it's not an easy thing to solve and there's no easy answers to it, but I I am of that belief that there should be mechanisms to allow for curiosity and interest to be explored. One of the trades that we made getting our faculty to agree to work with COPA was we added an elective and we really said the constraints are off in those elective courses. And that may not be the right thing to do. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I don't even want to say that working to a framework is joyless. I actually think frameworks are there not to constrain us, but to to support us, right? But I also think in the elective space, what we've tried to do is say that you can actually do some more creative instructional methods, perhaps with a smaller, interested, curious group. So that was that was sort of the trade-off we made, yet to see whether it works. Well, I think as the curricular outcomes have matured, and now we have reasonably clear targets and clearer work descriptors. I think the idea of a competency-based curriculum becomes more and more possible. And I believe that some schools will move towards this, probably not legacy schools because they don't have the incentive, but some innovative schools, just like some innovative schools adopted team-based learning as their central pedagogical strategy, but some schools will move to a a competency-based and not time-based curriculum. Is COPA there? Would COPA serve that purpose? Mm-hmm. Melissa, 
do we have the groundwork in COPA to go to the next step, which is to move more and more towards competency-based curriculum and not have time be the essential factor about when someone graduates? I, I think it's a great question. I do believe that COPA provides the framework that you would need for a competency-based education system. So we would have 12 roles or outcomes for or competencies. So I think that they lend themselves well to that. I think it was previously a task force in previous years. I think they've done a great job asking the question, is it the right thing to do? Why do we need it? So what's the need? What's the evidence? Is it a fit for us? And I, and I think you can certainly make the argument of, is it a fit? Can we demonstrate that students are able to display these roles or competencies upon graduation? I think that's very important. So then employers know what they're going to get and that we can assure some level of mastery with those students. But what I think was interesting was that two years ago at the AACP interim meeting, when this was brought up, people... I think they immediately go to the barriers of how are we going to charge tuition? What's faculty yes. time and grading going to look like? Am I going to spend all of my day grading? A lot of faculty like teaching. They like being in the classroom, delivering content, or even uh, helping students learn skills and assessing those skills. And this is such a change for how faculty would be viewed as an instructor. You would be spending a lot of time with assessment. So I think there's some real questions that we have to ask and answer as an academy, but I think that the framework is there. And, and I think there are, right. there's enough interest in what does this mean and is this something we should be doing? Melissa, I remember I was at that meeting. It was very interesting, people's response, explosion in brains as we started to think about that, that really not just in pharmacy, but in, in many fields, the traditional university model isn't really designed right. to work that way. Right. Yeah, that's right. So the whole business model and how we make money and how we charge tuition is based on time. and in Yeah, and credit hours and yeah. Carnegie units. And so until we change that, it actually has to come with a new business model that's surrounding it. And I think that's the biggest challenge. But. I think we have the framework here. I really do. I think COPA serves as a starting point as what are the targets and you can design a competency-based mm -hmm. curriculum around those. I think I'm just sitting here pondering the notion of competency and I'm, I'm totally for competency, don't get me wrong, but I just think about what else. Like, is the yeah. only thing we want from our graduates to, to cross the line, to want to just draw the lines and have them cross the line and attain what we say they need to attain well, I think that's a great place to end is to consider that maybe there are things beyond curricular outcomes and, and trustable professional activities or units of work that we hope our graduates will leave our programs being curious about or care about as pharmacists and scientists. With that, thank you so much, Melissa, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor to be with all of you. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy coffee and conversations. If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us. You can share your reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fika, but please be kind. This is a safe space. Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? 
leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash pharmacyfica. Bye for now. Namaste. Das Vidanya. Au revoir.